Our podcast sponsor today is strategytraining.com. If you want to strengthen your strategy skills, you can get the overall approach used in well-managed strategy studies. It's a free download and you can go to firmsconsulting.com forward slash overall approach. That's firmsconsulting with an S dot com forward slash overall approach. And if you are looking to advance your career and need to update your resume, you can get a McKinsey and BCG winning resume template as a free download at www.firmsconsulting.com forward slash resume PDF. That's www.firmsconsulting.com forward slash resume PDF. Hey, Mark, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks, Michael. It's so good to be here with you today. So we can discuss many things, but I think a good starting point is for you to talk our listeners and me through your very, very interesting and entertaining background. Well, thanks, Michael. Again, it's good to be with uh, you and your listeners, and uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation. I'm Mark Mears, and uh, right now, currently, I'm the founder and chief growth officer for Leaf Growth Ventures, where I inspire individuals, teams, and organizations to find purpose in fulfilling their true growth potential. And I consider myself a growth junkie, and I've had a, a chance to sit at the feet of some of the masters in my past, working for David Novak at uh, Pizza Hut when we were owned by PepsiCo, yes. was also um, on the agency side at Leo Burnett, working on uh, a big chunk of McDonald's business, was at um, uh, DDB and heading up the Frito-Lay business. Um, then on kind of the brand marketing side, I've been uh, fortunate to become the uh, head of sales and marketing for Universal Studios Hollywood as well as the very first ever chief marketing officer for the Cheesecake Factory um, and president of Mimi's Cafe, uh, then a division of Bob Evans, a publicly traded, you know, half a billion dollar casual dining enterprise. Yes. And then Noodles and Company, where I was um, the CMO and, and a couple other places in between. But the common thread, I think, woven throughout all of that uh, retail, hospitality, uh, entertainment and, and restaurant is this idea of service. And yeah. so when I'm asked about, you know, where I've been, that's great, but I think it's more important to know who I am. And for me, I've written a, a purpose statement and we'll talk a lot about the power and the importance of purpose throughout this conversation, but I thought, you know, um, I've got to drink my own Kool-Aid, right? Yeah. So my purpose statement, Michael, is I don't want to just make money and retire. I want to make a difference and inspire. And that means making a difference in the lives of others and inspiring them to want to do likewise. So it creates this virtuous cycle of reciprocity, what I call paying it backward. And why I call it pay it backward is because when I go to Starbucks, not only am I a growth junkie, I'm a huge coffee junkie and I love Starbucks. And so when I go to the drive-thru, I will pay for the car behind me. I can't physically pay for the car in front of me because they've already driven off, right? Yeah. So I pay it backward and by you know, that not random, but intentional act of kindness, I'm doing something to show that person or persons behind me that someone they don't know and that they'll never meet, most likely, um, cared about them in that moment. And I'll say a silent prayer as I drive off. I don't know who they are. They don't know me, as I mentioned. I don't know what they're going through, but I got to believe that intentional act of kindness created an impact. And there is something called the law of reciprocity, where if someone does something nice or good to you, 
you feel a deep-seated urge to do something nice or good for somebody else, and oftentimes in greater measure. And so what that does is it creates a ripple effect. You don't think that person or persons in that car aren't going to talk about it, have a smile on their face. You don't think that uh, barista or um, Starbucks uh, team member in the window isn't going to tell their people about it. And I believe, and it oftentimes I'm told it happens, that they'll pay for the car behind them and so on and so forth. And so that really kind of factors into who I am. And what I'm trying to be is moving beyond leader to legacy builder. And not the kind of legacy you leave when you're dead and buried, but a living legacy builder. All I know, Michael, is you're in LA, I'm in Kansas City, you have listeners all over the world, and I'm sure it's every makeup from male, uh, female, gender, sexual orientation or preference, religion, race, creed, uh, color, but I know one thing, and regardless of what time zone you're in, we all still have 24 hours in a day. And to me, what's important is how you use that 24 hours. And what's most important is to how you positively impact the lives of others within the time that you have while you're awake. And so that's what I try to do in my life. That's what I'm doing with my business um, and how I've taken all of the lessons that I've learned throughout my career um, the experiences which we'll talk about, but also observations of those whom I admire, um, along with a curation of research to substantiate and add credibility to my thesis, and some subject matter experts that can go deeper and who are more learned in their subject than I can possibly be. So this book that I've created that is the foundation for speaking and consulting, and I'm working on an e-learning platform, is all wrapped around purposeful growth and helping people grow from maybe just being a good leader to being a living legacy builder. So looking at your background, right? Very interesting. You worked at PepsiCo, Pizza, at McDonald's, Retail Lay, the Cheesecake Factory. So I know you like feeding people. Yes. Now based on that recent story, I can see you like getting people to hooked up on caffeine at Starbucks as well. Absolutely. So what is the strategy behind being nice to people or paying it backwards? As you say. What's the strategy? How do you see this playing out for you and why? Yeah. Well, I've had the, um, <laughs> during my career, the experience of having some pretty, um, I'm, I'm trying to be careful with my words, but let's just say lousy bosses. And I use the word boss in this sense um, because normally I prefer the word leader, but you have to earn the title of leader. It's not just the level or title on your business card. It's how you show up every day for your team. And I believe words matter. And so I look at words like employee or worker or God forbid, you know, W-2 um, or, you know, um, uh, full-time equivalent FTE. And I say, yeah. that's just, that's like treating people as an employee ID number. You know, someone who's just working for a paycheck. But I believe that we're all human beings and we need to feel comfortable bringing our whole self into the workplace. We are our whole self, whether we're allowed to or not, we still have feelings. And so it all goes back to this notion of my goal is to put the human back in human resources, even more than ever now with AI and chat GPT and machine learning and big data and all of the uh, robotics and everything that's going on technology-wise, we're still human beings. 
and we still need to be leaders of teams and we still need to lead and inspire um, and motivate. Uh, but, but what's happening and what we're seeing is just the opposite. So I'm fulfilling a business need. If you're a senior level leader, listen closely. We heard about the great resignation during COVID, right? Well, the Sloan School of Management, and I emphasize that word management because that'll mean something to you here in a minute, at MIT did a survey of 34 million people who'd left the workforce during COVID and asked them a simple question, why? And Michael, the number one answer by over 10 times more than the second most given answer was toxic work environment. The compensation didn't come up until number 16 on the list. Yeah. It's as if people said, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. Life's too short. It's as if COVID gave us all a bit of a timeout to reflect deeply on not only what, but who matters most in our lives. And upon that reflection, we said, I don't want to live to work. Life's too short. We don't know. We were all uh, sheltered in place. Um, we were maybe sick ourselves, or maybe a family member was hospitalized, or God forbid someone we know or love died as a result of it. It gave us that kind of wake-up call we needed to really understand what am I here for and how do it how does it translate into my purpose and how does my purpose translate into my work? So I then look at um, the that's not just what I think. Um, there's a group called the Science of Purpose. And the research that they've done in making the case for purposeful growth states that individuals with a connection to their purpose experience these things. 63% increase in wealth, leadership, effectiveness, and fulfillment. They learn twice as much, are four times more engaged, we'll get to that in a second, and are 175% more productive. That's almost two people worth, right? And then the case for purposeful growth from a company who establishes a connection to their purpose their team members and their company experience higher margins as purposeful growth firms are 30% more innovative. 73% of their customers will switch to higher purpose brands and pay more. They have higher levels of retention and tenure, which is important in this day of quiet quitting and uh, great resignation, which I call great repurposing, and 54% more fulfilling work relationships. Purpose matters. So the flip side of that is lack of purpose. So when Gallup does their state of the global workplace study, last year's results suggested we're at almost historic low levels of engagement. And the common denominator of why their areas of engagement are declining most from pre-pandemic levels are really kind of humanistic. Clarity of expectations, connection to the mission or purpose of the company, opportunities to learn and grow, opportunities to do what employees do best, and get this one, feeling cared about at work. Now, it doesn't cost anyone one more cent or one more dollar to the labor line, which we know mostly most companies labor the number one line item on their P&L. Uh, <laughs> if, if you think and calculate all the amount, uh, the, the amount of money that, that goes into all the different machinations of replacing a team member, uh, it adds up quickly. And, and it's tough to calculate because how do you calculate the lack of productivity while that spot may be open or possibly the 
uh, disgruntlement of someone that's been asked to do two jobs and not paid any more until that position is backfilled. It's real money. But more than that, it's lost profitability through lack of productivity, even with everybody staying in their seat, right? So the thing that I've come up with is a, a model for how to get after this lack of engagement. And it's saying, you know, to put the human back in human resources, all we need is love. And that sounds very airy-fairy cotton candy. So let me break it down for you. It's an acronym that stands for listen, observe, value, and empower. So imagine you're a leader with a team member and you're having more frequent interactions with them. It's even more important in this hybrid work environment or remote work environment than it used to be when we were all working in an office face-to-face together. So checking in with them and listening to what they're saying, but also listening to what they're not saying. Again, we're whole people. And I don't know if maybe you have a relationship issue or maybe you have a, a son or daughter that is sick and needs surgery, or maybe you're caring for an elderly parent and that's weighing on you. Any number of things might impact your work productivity and your work experience. And so I wanna know that about you because I wanna build the sense of trust and rapport. And then the second is observe. I wanna observe you in real time and encourage and coach you and correct you when necessary and not wait for some annual performance appraisal, which no one likes, no one does well, but do it in real time like a coach. I happen to live in Kansas City. I don't know when this is going to air, but um, the, the world champion Kansas City Chiefs are here and Coach Andy Reid wouldn't wait till the end of the season to coach. He's doing it in real time, on the field, in film sessions, during the games, and everywhere in between, right? And so by giving that feedback to your team member in real time and observing them is going to help them feel the next thing, valued. And value is really important, obviously, because, hey, we all need to feel seen and heard. And that's where listen and observe come in. But we all need to feel valued like we matter, like we're not just an employee ID number. We are playing a valuable role for the success of the team. And that's why I use the word team member versus employee also. Those of us who grew up playing sports at any age know the power of being a team member and being a teammate. There's a sense of duty. There's a sense of responsibility, but there's also a sense of satisfaction in working well in a team environment. And so the idea of value is not just recognition and reward to show appreciation. There's that, but you can also value somebody by giving them some ways they can grow and learn and and do something a little different, maybe get them outside their comfort zone. And when you've done that is when the E comes in, empower. We want to empower our team members to be their very best. We want them to be able to live into their purpose, both in their life and at work. Now, again, I go back to my childhood and I remember when I was riding a bike or learning to ride a bike, I started with a Know, probably a trike at one point. I think I was a little too um, early for the big wheel years. Um, and then I got a bike. How cool is that? Well, I first had training wheels on it. And that's because I wasn't ready to ride alone. But I remember that day when the training wheels came off and mom and dad were pushing me down the sidewalk and guiding me and staying with me for a while. And then they let me go. And I fell down a few times because, you know, I was kind of freaked out. But then I remember 
the last time and I got the hang of it. I kept my balance. I knew how to continue pedaling to keep my momentum and I knew how to stop and I knew how to start again. And I remember that sense of freedom because they empowered me to allow me to be my best. And now riding that bike opened up my whole world. The neighborhood certainly got a lot bigger after that. So if we can listen to our team members, what they're saying and not saying, observe and coach and encourage in real time, value the whole person, and then empower them to be their very best. That to me is what moves you from being a manager to a leader. And then being a leader, so a leader is defined as someone that um, someone wants to follow, right? Take it a step further. Remember that pay it backward exercise. And now you're creating a legacy. You're going to be a legacy builder because if you are a leader someone wants to follow and you're really good at that, they're likely going to want to emulate you. And then they're going to do likewise with their team. And it will create multiple ripple effects that will improve the level of leadership within the organization, improve the quality of the work experience, most likely improve the quality of the work itself. And then certainly from that purpose comes the profitability for the enterprise across all four stakeholders, not just our team members, our customers, our business partners, everybody in the business ecosystem, and then our communities. We can make them better as a result through our work in business. Purpose at work can also help our communities, not just in our immediate surroundings, but sometimes across the country and certainly sometimes across the world. So I want to tackle three things here, right? And I'll go to them step by step based on what you've said. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to phrase it as questions to you. I'm not phrasing them as things that I think should happen or I want to happen. I'm trying to look at what is really going to happen in the workforce to see how this approach works. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. So let's tackle three things here, right? Let's do with the first one, and then we'll move to the other two. I have a lot of clients who are senior people in many sectors, right? But I'll pick two in particular, automotive and tech. In both of those sectors, the clients I have are quite terrified about what's coming down the pipeline with electric vehicles, especially China, and what they've done during COVID. They've really moved far ahead of their Western peers, not just in China, but they're now entering Western markets. In the tech space, I've got clients who are very senior, and they are terrified of what not just AI is going to do to them, but the fact that they are not the ones leading the battle on AI. And if I look at the way their workforces are being managed, I mean, it's a situation where they're responding to pain, there's fear. And I'm not saying that what you're proposing is a luxury, but I think in some companies, it's very hard for them to, to respond in this way because they don't know what to do in some cases. And they are responding from a sense of fear. So my question here is, how realistic is it for leaders to do all of this? Well, it's a great question, Michael. And I certainly can understand that fear. But I also know, um, and I have a chapter in my book which says, get the FUD out. And FUD stands for fear, uncertainty, doubt, and delay. And in this case, it could be the fear of the unknown and the uncertainty that's caused by not knowing your path and leading it, as you mentioned, uh, the doubt that maybe people can uh, either learn new things or unlearn old habits that causes delay. 
And every minute, every hour, every day of delay is going to let your competitor pass you by. Or in this case, you mentioned the Chinese and what they're doing with electric vehicles, right? And, and so we have to take purposeful action. And we have to be able to understand that, you know, it's okay to admit, you know, uh, we don't know what we don't know. So let me go further upstream. I've talked about, you know, leadership and this whole idea yeah. of being a legacy builder. Well, where are we coming from is the word you used, management. Notice I said earlier when I talked about the toxic work environment study that was done by mm -hmm. the Sloan School of Management in MIT. Those of us who went to business school learned how to be managers. We managed people or performance. Um, there was learning and accountability and numbers orientation. Um, and, and all of that were designed to lead to results. That's very transactional. Okay, but that's fine. It's also foundational. And then we move to leader. We're now about goals and roles and ownership, but working together. And so if you think about the first model as a top-down command and control management model, now you're talking about a more inclusive, more collaborative leadership model that then moves into this kind of paying it backward legacy building model. So leadership now is about trust and it's more relational. But you don't throw away what we learned about being a good manager because you still need results. It's, you know, you still build on that and then you move from results to trust and then you move on into the sense of community or belonging, which is transformational. And that's the new model for this world of work. And I don't care if it's tech, if it's uh, vehicles, if it's restaurants, hospitality, retail, again, as long as we're you know, still human beings and we're not robots, um, we still have the same innate human needs uh, that Maslow talked to us about, right? And by listening and observing and valuing empowering team members is not weakening yourself, it's actually strengthening yourself. And, and if you just wanna look at it from a bottom line perspective, that's fine. Notice what I've said in terms of calculating the cost of uh, labor issues with um, you know, retention and uh, having to hire and train new people to replace the people that left because you couldn't change. And we've all learned how to change. Who today, when there's been a major major catalytic event, whether it's you know COVID and it's healthcare related, or what if it's technology related? You know what happened when uh, the iPhone came out? Where do you think Nokia is today? You know, what do you think their stock's like? And it wasn't just that. What about Kodak? You know, people started saying, I can take, you know, pictures from my phone. I don't need film. And so those people that delayed innovation, where are they now? So if you're a leader in one of these areas and you're 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 fearful, you're going to have to get over your fear and take purposeful action to change your ways, retrain your your senior leadership and your middle management because here's the thing. Millennials don't want to be managed. Gen Z, and I have twin daughters who are 26 years old, I guarantee you their expectation of work is really different than it was in my day. But we put up with it. Today, there are people that are coming behind us who are not willing to put up with it. So it's either you look yourself in the mirror and say, I don't know what I don't know, but I better learn it because the future is here today. Whether it's an innovation in machinery, or an innovation in pricing models, or an innovation in customer satisfaction techniques, 
whatever it is, now it's about innovating with people, not management, but people leadership. Very good. It brings me to my second question. I had some thoughts based on what you said here. So I have a style similar to what you are advocating, where I want to know what's happening in people's lives, give them purpose and so on. But the majority of people of whom I work, interact with or advise, they would struggle to do these things because they don't know how to do it. Hmm. And now you've said they should do it. This is the point I want to get to is, I understand they should do it, but what is the likelihood of them being able to do it? That's the point I want to get to because I advise my clients to do certain things, right? You know, I'm the kind of person who knows what's happening in people's lives. And because of that, people like working with me and so on, because I temper what I'm doing based on what's happening, not just in the office, but what I know they're going to go home to face. But no matter how many times I tell clients they should do this, I know 95% of them are not going to do it. So are we advocating for something here that is not realistic? Not as distinguished from it's the right thing to do, but just people are going to struggle to do it. It's slightly linked to that whereby are we asking too much of leaders? Because at a certain point, it sounds as if they're being a little bit like therapists as well. I mean, is that the role we want them to take? Yeah, no, first of all, I I appreciate the question. And and I always want to be realistic. Um, I'm a very visionary, optimistic person, but I'm also a realist. I've had to manage, um, you know, the P&L of a half a billion dollar enterprise. I've had to manage the marketing budget for a $3 billion enterprise. And so I get all that. And do not mistake what I'm talking about as weakness or as, again, namby-pamby, steel-hugging, you know, tree-loving, uh, you know, uh, environmentalist. I'm, I'm, I'm being, I'm, I'm sending a warning shot over the bow that says, if you don't do these things, you're not going to like what your future holds. And to say, is it realistic? I think it is, as we're adaptable human beings. But let me emphasize that word human beings. Whatever I'm advocating is not something you don't already know how to do with your friends, with your neighbors, with your family, um, and, unless you're a recluse or uh, uh, just a, a, a major introvert, you probably wouldn't be in a leadership position anyway, all right? So those who are uh, good managers often get promoted to become leaders of teams, right? And, 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 and I've always found that if you're a good doer, you get promoted, but then you become um, a leader and a lot of people aren't taught how to lead. Like I said, when we went to business yeah. school, we learned how to manage. It's all about books on management, manage this, manage that. But being able to now be more human is is actually, post-COVID, it's welcomed. I think we saw, again, our, in our own mortality, the sense of human connectedness. This wasn't um, a, a, a Chinese uh, you know, uh, thing. It was not just an American thing. It was not just a European thing. It was a global thing. And we all went through it together, and in some cases still are with our recovery, right? So all I'm asking is leaders to lead with a more humanistic style in ways that that they already know how to do, that's already acceptable outside the workplace, but it should also be acceptable inside the workplace. You know, the whole command and control management style is being attributed a lot to a lot of researchers as coming from World War II. And the GIs came back and that's how they were trained and that's how they felt they were effective. And so now they're entering the workforce, they use the same techniques. 
that they used in the army. And so uh, today, and, and that's been, you know, successful for a number of years. But like anything, times change, styles change, expectations change, change is all around us. And it was uh, the late, great Wayne Calloway, who was the CEO at the time at PepsiCo, who was famously quoted as saying, um, if it ain't broke, break it, because we need to fix something that our competitor will break and fix. And so we want to make sure that we get there ahead of them. And so it's really imperative that people understand this isn't uh, going to take a dollar more on your you know, P&L uh, or wages need to go up a dollar more. This is just about reminding people that we're all human, we're all connected. And if you think about the golden rule, we want to treat others the way we would want to be treated. So this is not some new fangled, um, you know, whoop-de-doo, you know, whiz kid kind of thing. This is about stuff that's been ingrained in us since we grew up that we've forgotten about because we settled for a, probably a lack of satisfaction at work. Um, if I'm being honest, in certain times when I felt like I was just being managed, I didn't feel like I counted uh, as a human being. And it was transactional. And when a better job came along, I took it. Well, we know that tenured teams are more profitable teams. So I'll always say that all roads come back to each of your four stakeholders, your team members, your customers, your business partners, and your communities. And if we're enriching each of those four, then we're going to be, and think of it as a four-circle Venn diagram. It's not linear. We have to have it all overlapping and revolving around purposeful growth. Yes. Well said. Let's get to my third point, right? And I'll tell you a story here. So everything you said, I agree with. It makes sense. I was having a discussion with a very senior client in, uh, in financial services. And I was explaining to her how she's moved into a new role and she needs to build deep relationships with her peer group so that she understands where they are coming from, where they're going, why they behave the way they do in the office, and how she needs to create a sense of purpose, care about her teams, all the things we're talking about. But she said something that I want to touch on because it's the important point here. She made a note of everything I was saying. She repeated it to confirm she knew what to do. And then she said, well, you know, it's not my personality, but I'm going to fake it. And one of the things I've seen is a lot of people do the things that you are advocating for. And again, I agree with what you were saying, but they don't mean it. They do the tasks. They say these things. They ask what's happening in your life. But it's very obvious they actually don't care. They are simply going through the motions. So I think one of the things I want the listeners to understand, and we'll get your views on this as well, is that yes. it's not enough to do these things. You have to be this kind of leader deep down in your DNA. Because if you're just going through the motions because someone said, you have to ask me about what's happening mm -hmm. in my life, it's very obvious after a while you just don't care, right? And that has an even worse effect because you come across as insincere for trying to do all the things that make you a good leader. Have you seen that happen? Thankfully, no, Michael, uh, because then again, I would say, you know, uh, to that person, you, you got to be authentic. That's not who you really are. And if you think, so you you're think you've fooling, never seen an inauthentic leader, Mark, not someone to say what you just said, which is I'm going to fake it. I've never heard say I'm going to fake being someone else. And, and maybe they were doing it, but I've never heard someone say it. OK, but you've seen people do this. Yeah. Oh, yes, for sure. And, and, and what I'm going to get at is. If they think they're fooling anyone, they're not. 
Absolutely. Because your your you know your words and your actions have to go inside. That becomes who you are and how you show up. And that's why I always you know debunk this myth that it's not what you know, it's who you know. I say it's who you are that matters yeah. most. And so let me give you an example. It's not just how was your weekend. It was, um, hey, I understand you mentioned last time we chatted about um, your mom, and and I know you and and your siblings and your husband were trying to worry. You know, we're worried about you know at what point do you um, look for elderly care or this and that and the other thing. So you're playing back something they said in the past, and then if you go a step further and say, is there anything I can do to help you? I mean, imagine if, if the answer will probably be no, but imagine if someone followed up with that extra bit of care and that I'll take action. I don't know what you need, but is there anything I can do? You see what I'm saying? And and that's being authentically and genuinely human. If you were going through something like that, Michael, and someone uh, you know said that to you, how would you feel? Well, it depends. It depends on the person because sometimes people can say that and I know they're not authentic. And and that's on them, okay? <laughs> None of us can control the way yes. people act or or should act. There have been people in my career that were like um, Eddie Haskell in Leave it to Beaver. It shows my age. But, you know, he was always kissing up to uh, uh, Mrs. Cleaver. And yes. um, everybody knew it. Uh, and she knew it. But that was his thing. I, I work with people like that. So I get it. But they're not the ones that people want to follow. And they're oh, certainly not going to create a leadership shadow. It's what we used to call it back in the PepsiCo days. And I now call it being a legacy builder because I think it's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. it, it's really about um, owning you, being authentic, and, and leading a team to your shared objectives, right? You want to succeed. Why wouldn't you, as a leader, want your team members to succeed, not only in the workplace, but in their life? Why wouldn't you want to build that foundation of trust, which is the foundation of any good relationship, whether it's in the workplace or at home or neighbor or friend, and go the next step and then build a community, a place where people belong? And, and this is the point I want to make, Michael, to you and your listeners. We, we've been hearing a lot in news lately about DEI. And... I think everyone understands the importance of diversity, I would hope by now, uh, but diversity just gets us in the room. And equity gives us an equal voice, and that's great. Inclusion actually gets us a seat at the table. But all that's great, it doesn't mean a thing if they don't feel they belong. So belonging is important because if you don't feel you belong, you're gonna not probably likely be vulnerable enough to give of your very best. You, 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 you don't want to rock the boat. Probably took you a long time to get in that room, to get in that seat, to have at least that equal voice if you choose to use it. So again, I believe words matter. And we talk a lot about culture this and culture that. And culture is not a bad thing. But I believe a culture is a place where someone feels they are merely a part of versus a community is a place someone feels they belong in. You notice the difference? And if you've been on a team where you really felt like you belonged, you were listened to, you were observed and coached in real time, you were you were valued, treated like a valued member of the team, and then you were empowered to just go out and be your best. That's just about being human. And we would want that for ourselves. And why wouldn't we want that for our team members? And if someone thinks they have to fake all that, they're just saying, I'm a fake human being. And 
God bless you. You may be someone who can get results in the short run. And I've seen plenty of people in my day. And in my uh, own situation, I've lamented the fact that I've let people stay um, because they were really good at getting results, but they were probably not a good fit for the team. Yes. And I then I heard that. about it from the team. And then I made a move and it was like, why didn't I trust my gut or why didn't I ask my team? I, I sensed it, but why didn't I take that step? Because so many of us are fearful. We don't want the rainmaker to leave. Well, guess what happens? It's usually addition by subtraction. And if that person's not fit to be a leader in, in, in today's new world of work, I'm not talking about what it was like five, even five, 10 years ago. What are the, where, where is the puck going today? And how can leaders skate toward it versus where it's been? Yes. Not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. I think the most important thing to take out of this is that it's not what you do, it's who you are that matters here. Yes. That's the key thing. Because I, I can imagine a lot of people taking notes of all the valuable things you've said, you know, ask these questions, do these things. But it's more important that you are that person who genuinely wants to do those things. Versus someone who sees this as a burden that they have to go through to be the kind of leader that's going to have a legacy and leave an impact. Because if it becomes a burden to be this way, at some point you're going to give up and you're going to revert to what comes naturally to you. So I think for me, with people listening to this, you want to internalize this, to become this kind of person whereby you know by acting this way, it's for your benefit and everyone else's benefit. You see the results. You know it gives you a competitive edge and an advantage. But unless you become that person, it's just going to become a fad you're going to follow. And it's not because the things don't work. It's if you try to embed them on top of a value system that does not align with this, it's obviously going to fail. So what I want the listeners to do is to think about the kind of leaders they are, as opposed to just saying, I'm going to try this on Monday. Because if you try it and it's not a part of your identity, it's not going to work, right? Absolutely. I think what you're saying is dead on. And I love that summation uh, because I don't think it's going to be that hard, but 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 it can be because we yes. all love comfort, right? Um, and I heard a great quote that says a comfort zone is a beautiful place, but nothing ever grows there, right? We got to, yes. we got to, you know, get out of the bud and blossom. And so to do that, we've got to be able to be vulnerable. And what I would suggest is if I had, you know, a team at work, that I would say, I've been thinking a lot about what's, you know, kind of going on around here. And 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 maybe I've been re reflecting on my own leadership style. I really want to get some feedback and we can either do it as a group or you can set up some time with me one-on-one. -on -one. But my goal is to be a better leader and, and have you also want to emulate me with your teams. And that's where the leader to legacy builder comes in. So you're stating your intentions up front. You're not coming in as if you're just wearing a new dress or a new sports coat. You're actually saying, I want this outcome and I want you to hold me accountable for it. And I want you to give me suggestions. And then I'm going to take what Mark said. I'm going to fold it into what you're saying. And we're going to keep our finger on the pulse of this relationship as we move forward. I believe people will be blown away by that level of vulnerability. If you've ever read anything by Dr. Brene Brown, I'm telling you, it works. And so we all kind of sometimes have to take off the veneer or take off the, the shield and put down our sword and just say, you know what, I need to maybe learn how to lead differently in this new world of work. Well, yes. I now know I have to learn how to use AI to uh, enhance 
uh, my, my skills. I now know I have to learn how to use data in a different way than I ever had. We're always having to learn new things. So why wouldn't we also put the same time and energy into learning how to be a better leader? Yes, well said. To wrap up, I just want to make one other point, and I'm sure that our listeners who are very smart and capable know this, but I think it's important to say it anyway. And I'll deliver the point with a little story, a vignette. Mm-hmm. So I go to this very nice, high-end, exclusive business club in Los Angeles. It's uh, invitation only. And I have a couple of friends that I go to watch sports with them. We talk about business and so on. And one of them told me something a few days ago. He said, Michael, you know, we've spoken to you for, we don't know how many weeks and months, but I realize we know nothing about you. Because when the kind of person I am is I'm intensely private. When someone starts shifting the conversation towards even what I do or anything about me, I don't like to talk about it. But I'm very happy to talk about what's happening in their life. Mm-hmm. So while you're deploying these tactics and skills, and I would say value system and culture and community, as you say, Mark, I think that's a good phrase, read the person yes, and understand how far you can go with them. Yes. Because just some people, it's just in nature, they don't want to discuss anything. And I'm one of those people. If you ask me anything personal, you will literally see me, not squirm, I never squirm, but I'm, I go silent because I personally just don't want to share anything about my life. And there are going to be people like that whereby you have to know how far to take it. Yes. And how much sharing do they want, whether it's a dual lane sharing, they want to learn about you and they want to share about themselves. On other people, they don't want any of those things. So yeah, people are different. The value system here is great. And if you take it further, it's to say, I'm going to understand my people. And I'm going to understand some people just don't want this. That's something you absolutely must be able to do as well. Absolutely. I think, you know, any, any good leader knows how to read a room. Like if yes. you're making a presentation, right? You're looking around, you're reading the room, you, you, you know when to kind of stick a jab and move on, right? The same thing goes with, your fellow team members. Uh, we all have different personalities. Some are extroverted, some are introverted, um, some are private, some are open kimono, um, and, and that's fine. And that's the whole point about saying it's okay to be a whole person at work, right? You, 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 you be you. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to fake it. You, you can be comfortable. That's what a community is, a sense of belonging. Yes. You belong here, even though uh, you may have different uh, religious beliefs. Uh, you may be of a different background in uh, education or what, whatever it may be, but you want, you're a valuable member of the team. And I want to make sure I'm getting the very best from you so that yeah. you can be your very best. You tell me what you want from this experience. And my job actually as your leader is not for you to work for me, but me to serve you. And if we do that, then we'll collaborate as a team and we'll achieve our goals. And I think you bring up a great point. There is no one size fits all. This is a model. Models are meant to have flexibility, right? And so if uh, you don't want to, to share a lot about your weekend or what about you know your family or your interests, or that's fine. Now that I know that about you, um, I can make sure I treat you a little bit differently than, say, somebody else who's a bit more open and like, oh, thank God they're finally asking me. You know, yes. it's everyone's different and that's OK. Different is good. You want people to belong in the way they want to. Belong. Yes, that's the thing. 
Mark, thank you so much. I really love the conversation. It's a good conversation to have at the beginning of the year when people are taking stock about how they're going to approach the next 11 months. Yeah, I appreciate it, Michael. And I hope your listeners got some value and are able to take away some golden nuggets that they can implement in the workplace. And I would recommend Mark's book. It is a pretty good book. It does have a lot of interesting anecdotes and the frameworks are very useful. So if you're looking for something to read, this is a good book to set you up for the year. Yeah, if you want to look at... Um, my website at markamears.com, right there on the homepage, you can take a purposeful growth self-assessment. It takes about six or seven minutes. And when you're done, you can immediately download a customizable PDF with your scores. And so if you're curious as to what this is all about, I, I, I really um, would love it if you could do that. And then that way I can get some feedback from you. And then also, please feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn. I love to connect with people. I love to learn from people. And I'm sure uh, if we get connected, I can learn from you as well. I mean, the assessment sounds like a wonderful date night experience. I mean, you sit down with your date, you get to know what kind of leaders you have some wine, plan your future. <laughs> I mean, this could be the right way to have a date night, right? Well, I don't know about that. But what I could say <laughs> is if, if, if it were me, and I've had people do this, um, and, and I was a leader, I'd say, hey, to my team, I would love for you all to go take this self-assessment. You're going to get your own customized report. Um, and you don't have to share it with me if you don't want to, but I would kind of like to know where everybody is on each of these major you know, points. And then I would like to know how I can serve you better to meld your purpose in both life and work. And what is the website address again, Mark? Just it's Mark A. Mears, M-E-A-R-S. A is the middle initial, dot com. Okay, so it's your name, dot com. It, it is indeed. Yep. And the book's called The Purposeful Growth Revolution, Four Ways to Grow from Leader to Legacy Builder. Thank you so much, Mark. We'll have you on the show again soon. Thanks, Michael. Take care. Ciao. Bye-bye. As we wrap up, today's podcast is sponsored by strategytraining.com. If you want to strengthen your strategy skills, you can get the overall approach used in well-managed strategy studies as a free download. Go to firmsconsulting.com forward slash overall approach. And if you're looking to advance your career and need to update your resume, you can get a McKinsey and BCG winning resume template example as a free download at www.firmsconsulting.com forward slash resume PDF.